Welcome to The Long Box of Darkness, a podcast exploring horror in comic book form. I'm Misty Graves. And I'm Herman Lowe. Join us for a look inside The Long Box of Darkness. Welcome back to the Long Box of Darkness, listeners. Uh, it's Halloween time, October. This is our first show of this uh, horrifically scary season. Um, this is Herman coming back with Misty, Misty Graves. How are you doing, Misty? How's this Halloween Hi. been treating you? <laughs> um, very well. Just hanging out in my crypt, doing doing not a whole lot, uh, talking to ghosts. But you know, it's just me. <laughs> the ghost whisperer. Chilling yeah. in the crypt. Mm, the so. nice thing about ghosts is they don't can they can't spread uh, contagious viruses to you. Oh, no. that's true. They've already had it. They've already succumbed to it, and hence they're ghosts. So a yes, lot. Yes, a uh, life hack or hashtag death hack. Ooh, damn. Yeah. Okay, that's that's, that's, that's a that's new harsh. one. That's a new one. I'm trying to start. Oh, okay. Some some trending. Um, uh, uh, on Twitter or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've been getting a lot of likes and retweets these days, even from just commenting on other posts. Suddenly someone retweets that and it's like more popular than the post. You know what I'm talking about, right? The Mask of the Red Death <laughs> of yeah, Mike Mignola. A drawing by Mike Mignola and it was it's a very cool drawing and people really liked it. So got, I think, 500 likes. Wow. <laughs> That is insane. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of retweets. Yeah, but it, it is a damn good drawing. Pencil sketched by Mignola, right, of um, death and, you know, the, the po-tail that we discussed. We've been getting lots of good traction from from that, you know, episode and the subsequent discussions. Lots of fans of Poe. <laughs> uh, but, listeners, since this is Halloween and it's our tradition to have another ghoul along for the ride, last year it was Ryan Daly. This year... We've got someone well-known to everybody in the comic book community, at least our circle on Twitter. And it's someone we've uh, had on the show before, and we've also guested on his show, Magazines and Monsters. He's um, our Twitter guru, the guy who leads off you know, with great horror discussions, and we're just along for the ride. Um, and his name is, of course, Mr. Billy Delicious. How are you doing, Billy? I'm great. How are you guys doing? I mean, it's Halloween, so, you know, we refuse to complain, and, uh, you know, we're very happy, right, Misty, because this is our favorite time of the year. Yes, very happy. Yeah, I can't, I'm I'm always looking <laughs> forward to this. I mean, I was firmly of the, the mind that when we get to Halloween, you know, everything will just be okay, and it hasn't happened yet, but I feel as if everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The turning of the leaves is a, you know, it's a good feeling. It means changes in the air. Mm, that's that's right. Yeah, symbolic yeah. of uh, change and uh, turning over a new leaf. Isn't that where it came from? <laughs> Probably Let's hope not. So. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So guys, we've got Billy here. Um big horror fan. Obviously, we're not going to go into your origin Billy with horror because folks can just listen to our Into the Weird show that you and I do as co-hosts. And also your Magazines and Monsters blog and the podcast. 
um, also titled Magazines and Monsters. You've discussed your origin at length. What we are going to mention before we do get into our uh, a small mini origins of things um, is we're going to mention what we're discussing. I'm going to leave that up to you, Misty, because you came up with the idea since this is Halloween and we wanted to do something momentous. Uh, what is our you know comic book line that we're going to be talking about today? We are going to be discussing EC Comics. That's right. And specifically their horror comics. Yeah. Not their crime or their romance or their Bible stories. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Which was admittedly before, you know, um, William Gaines took over. You know, that was during his dad, Max Gaines's heyday when they published that other trash. But... Um, you know, yeah, we're going to be discussing the classic EC horror, and each of us has decided to pick our favorite story. Now, this does not necessarily reflect EC's best listeners. I mean, everybody's got their their top ten favorites out there that are, you know, consistent with other people's favorites, and that's that's understandable. This is not that. You know, I've, I mean, arguably, Misty, you picked one that 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 is one of the best bet of all time. You know, but I I picked one that is, you know, not really considered one of EC's best. It's just my personal favorite. Uh, I don't know if that's the same with you, Billy, um, the the story you picked. But also, I th- I think that one doesn't normally crop up when, when it comes to EC's best. But it is all great. Yeah, I mean, the story I picked I really enjoy because it's a typical EC story in the fact that it's, you know, something bad happens and then there's like a revenge but uh, I think I also like when there's either a morality play to the stories, which EC did a lot of that as well. Or I also like when they use the stories to tie it into something of the times as well that they were written in or when one of the artists or writers grew up in as well. And that's oh, yeah. the case with it. So, yeah, I really enjoy that. That's Those are my favorite. Yeah, yeah, they're really good at, you know, well, they were very good at uh, picking up contemporary issues of the time and then you know um, twisting it a little bit to make it even more horrific Um, and we're going to be talking about that especially I think when it comes to to your story uh, Misty (laughs) because there's lots of food (laughs) rationing going on back then at least not in the 50s but when the the the, you know World War II era hit when it that was when Mm -hmm. most of these creators grew up so interesting Mm -hmm. very very interesting so, guys, listen, I'm going to um, first uh, just let the listeners know what our format is going to be. Uh, we're going to start with you, Billy. Um, we're going to do the typical uh, Long Box of Darkness format where you give a synopsis of your story. And then, you know, we discuss that. And then, you know, we follow on with Misty and then eventually me. And then we give an overall rating of, um, you know, the three stories. And and then, you know, um, feel free to chime in at any time during my synopsis or or you know, to interrupt me, <laughs> it's fine. We don't have to follow the, you know, a rigid style here. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking some EC. So before we do that, though, I want to ask you guys a question. Like, um, this is where where we get to the mini origin story. Like, how did you guys, we'll, we'll start with you, Billy. How did you first uh, get to know about EC? How did you first realize that they were a huge deal in the 1950s, in the golden age of comics? How did they, you know, get come into your radar so to speak when you were young the first uh, inclination i had that they even existed was i had watched some uh, horror films and 
uh, one of our favorite uh, production companies, Amicus, had some movies, and uh, they had some names to them, and they were set up in a, a style where they would have these little anthology uh, segments to them. And I'd found out through that that they were based off of comic books. And I thought, wow, what comic books are these? And you literally couldn't find these comic books anywhere when I was a kid, except for probably in a comic shop, which there weren't any near me when I was a kid. So I never saw EC until I was a teenager. Um, but yeah, it was definitely through those those Amicus films that uh, I learned about who you know EC was. And then, you know, you find out that, uh, you know, the whole like we talked about off mic a little bit you know the comics code and all that stuff too and you know how you realize how uh, important they really were in yeah. the whole scheme of things yeah, yeah. They were definitely groundbreaking at the time i mean obviously you know listeners we've talked about this before about the the birth of the comic book code and you know ec was at the forefront of course superhero comics were also under fire during that time old dr frederick wortham had lots of targets that he painted on lots of folks' backs there. You know, back then, it you know, it wasn't just the, the horror comics. But I think the horror comics started it all, you know, because there were some pretty violent covers around at that time. So, yeah, um, this is definitely, EC is definitely one of the main culprits, if you want to put it like that. But, you know, that's not <laughs> how we see it today. It's we, we see it as, you know, seminal and groundbreaking. So, how about you, Misty? I think we m- might have mentioned this before, but can you do a quick recap of your EC origin. My EC origin. (laughs) I found a reprint of EC. It was a 90s reprint. They did a reprint in the 90s. I should probably look up when that was, but you all probably know. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Russ Cochran 64-page reprints, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I found a few of those at a comic book shop and uh, picked them up and was just absolutely hooked. And it was because I had been primed already uh, by seeing references to Tales from the Crypt in all of my favorite media, like uh, Simpsons, Treehouses of Horror, anthologies, and Tales from the Crypt, the, sh- the actual show. Um, I was already aware of the existence of Tales from the Crypt, but I had never actually seen it in person until I went into a comic book shop and found that reprint. So I'm really glad that they did those reprints in the 90s because, you know, it's a good gateway into just buying yourself a whole, uh, what are these called? A tome, a, com- a compendium, omnibus. That's yeah. right. Buying a whole mm-hmm. omnibus. It's just getting a couple of those reprints and then yeah i was i was hooked after i was definitely hooked i was like oh yeah this is this is the good stuff this is where yeah. it all comes from <laughs> yeah this, that's where it all started i mean i mean before ec there were a lot of uh, what you could call horror comics but they were more adaptations you know in the 1940s of stuff like mary shelley's frankenstein and dick briefer even then changed the character to have like a, a, a long-running series of with the frankenstein monster as a main character but it it descended into comedy and pastiche and stuff like that but you know there were other examples of, of famous gothic novels adapted into comic form but um i think uh, ec were you know they had a new idea because they were coming off of um, listening to late night radio shows uh where you know um horror uh, stories would be uh, discussed and everybody was hooked on that so they you know um, Max Gaines and Al Feldstein they decided 
uh, oh sorry William Gaines Bill Gaines and Mac and Al Felstein they decided hey let's you know put this in print somehow because it's big on the radio so strangely enough nobody else was thinking about that at the time and these guys did it and um, it immediately made an impact they first tested the waters a little bit in their crime comics because you know post-war comics crime was big crime and westerns and romance and that's what they were publishing after Bill Gaines took over the company right so so that's why you're right. When you read this, you realize that this is this is the thing that kicked it all off, the, the horror craze in comics. So, guys, for me though, it was it was the same. I in in the 1980s we encountered uh, Tales from the Crypt. My friends and I, we were already horror fans. We watched a lot of horror movies. I think it was like maybe 1984, 1985. Now I had read about. EC comics before, but in letter columns and stuff from other comics, but not really to the extent that they were such a big deal. You know what I mean? It was more like this artist used to be at EC, you know, or when I read my my dad's Mad magazines, I, I read some biography of Jack Davis that said he used to be an EC horror artist. You know, so I, I didn't really pay that much mind until the Tales from the Crypt and then you know, everybody was saying, this is based off, an, off of an old EC comic. So I did some research, but I couldn't find much because how do you do research without the internet? <laughs> it's it's almost impossible, right, in the 80s. You have to go to a library. No, 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 not to uh, a South African library. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I guess you have to find the coolest people you know and ask them. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, mm-hmm. South Africa lacked them in the, in the 1980s. <laughs> but, you know... Um, for instance, I couldn't do any pop culture research, you know, if, if that's what you could call it. I, I could do some historical research, but they there's no way any South African library would ever stock, like, the history of comics or, you know, like, old newspaper clippings from the 1950s where the hearings were discussed. No, I didn't know about that at all. Um, so, you know, uh, eventually, though, wh- where I got, like, a hefty dose of information was, was in Stephen King's uh, book, Dance Macabre which was his uh, early treatise on horror. You know, it was like a novel-length book where he discussed his horror origins and also reviewed movies of the time and how he got into horror. And that's also how I discovered Lovecraft, through that book of King, Dance Macabre. Um, now, that book's now nice. horrib- horribly dated, right? Because it discussed movies that was you know were famous back then. You know, but um, I think he updated that in an introduction recently. So he talked a lot. There was like a whole chapter on EC Comics. And he even talked about how Salem's Lot was almost completely influenced by the novel Dracula and the story, one story that really made a big impact on on him as a kid. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of other EC stories that he also talked about. And, um, you know, after that, I had to find it, but I couldn't. And then luckily in the 1990s, the same as you guys, you know, when you found it, uh, the Russ Cochran reprints, the 64-pagers, and I still have those very same issues. And I also bought the, the Crime Doesn't Pay and all of that stuff because uh, they were they were cheap, easy to come by. But, you know, obviously the Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt, and, you know, they're, they're the best. You know, so um, that's my, you know, uh, abbreviated <laughs> origin. <laughs> Sorry, a little bit lengthy. But, um, you know, guys, we we all like him. We like the short horror format. And, um, you know, this is our bread and butter. So we'll get to Billy first. Billy, now, you picked a story 
uh, first tell us why you picked it and why it's your favorite or why you decided to go with it this week and what what the story is uh, well the reason I picked it is because it ends in a very gruesome and horrific manner but oh, okay <laughs> I totally I, I totally agree with you know the ending as far as uh, you know how uh, how the uh, I guess you'd say the uh, antagonist ends up. I, mm. I, I enjoy this. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy seeing um, people that are evil get what's coming to them. And uh, this, this guy really gets what's coming to him. And that's always a, a good thing. I enjoy it. Here, <laughs> mm-hmm. here. Yeah, that's what makes EC so great is they're, they're great at setting up the villain for a fall. Um, and, you know, some retribution often comes in a supernatural form. But... You know, um, that's the way we like it. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's straightforward serial killing stuff like the one that Misty's going to be discussing. It's not serial killing, but it's it's a type of, you know, like um, psychopathy, you know, that, that's happening there. So, um, Billy, yeah. tell us, tell the listeners and uh, what, what is the name of the story you picked? This is, this is a good one, listeners. Yeah, this one's called A Stitch in Time. It's originally from the Vault of Horror, number 23, uh, 1952. And uh, it's Johnny Craig, who's one of my favorite uh, EC guys, but not, you know, my top guy. Uh, We'll we'll talk about him later when you uh, do your story. But, uh, yeah, he did the script, the pencils, and the inks for this, and the colors were by the awesome Marie Severin. You know, we all know her from probably more Marvel fame, but definitely she was even around this far back and coloring a lot of EC horror stories, which is super cool that a lady was <laughs> coloring all these murderous uh, panels. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> crazy, but it's so much... So, so... Ladies, ladies like murder, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> They just murder in more subtle and more sinister ways sometimes, more and more devious, right, Misty? <laughs> uh-huh. All kinds of ways. Really, yeah. you'd be surprised. Yeah, that's true. Yep. That's true. <laughs> you, people just don't want to know. You know, they, they sometimes sweep it under the rug that this lady got violent because, yeah, they don't want to... <laughs> they don't want to give... Back then, they didn't want to give the ladies too much credit or power. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. There were some... Some pretty scary uh, femme fatales back then. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, okay, I'll just uh, do a quick synopsis here and then we can get into it. Excellent. <laughs> okay, so in an old sweatshop, an owner treats the workers terribly. The conditions are awful and the workers repeatedly get hurt, but the owner doesn't care. One day a sewing machine breaks down at one of the stations and an elderly woman gets hurt badly. The rest of the workers then take revenge on the owner by sewing his mouth shut and his hands together. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Oh, mm. That's a classic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't much to say about, you know, the plot. It's very straightforward, right? It's like a, a tale is, of vengeance, yeah, yeah. which normally occurs in these easy pages. But, um, mm-hmm. I, Misty, what did you think? I mean, this is obviously probably also one of your... <laughs> <laughs> your favorites i loved this story i was i love this story i'm like thank you billy for picking this story <laughs> you're welcome it's so, good. it's so good i already i was hooked in the beginning with this scene of the women sewing in the small room and the brutish boss off to the side and he's he's about to stomp on the old woman he has his 
boot up in the air. He's like literally going to stomp on an old lady. And it's like, oh, I I got to find out what's happening in the story. Um, so I just loved, I loved uh, the beginning, the foreshadowing when they were talking about him getting what he deserves someday he'll get what he he deserves like they say they say it in the story yeah so you know it's gonna come (laughs) (laughs) i love the colors in the story they're bright and punchy in the foreground and kind of dark and muted almost monochromatic in the in the background uh you were talking about the colorist and i i I thought the the color work in this story is just beautiful. Yeah, Marie uh, it's really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, really good use of color to show just what's important in the story and to set the mood. Um, and I feel like it was relatable. Like a person today could read this story and relate to how people kind of talk in in a working class job yeah uh like how many people have had that same line of thinking in their jobs and find it really relatable where um they say the conditions are terrible they um want to leave but they can't because they need to survive and they know that they're replaceable uh so they stay so like it sets it really sets up the psychology of what it's like to be kind of stuck in a working job working class job that you perhaps don't like or is very is not a good environment for you you know yeah exactly uh, isn't mm-hmm. it i mean uh, it's also a bit of a history lesson right guys because there were really these sweatshops oh yeah um yep. pre-war and then post-war too and some folks were uh, you know intent on making a buck from from exploiting others exploiting the conditions of the time. I mean, what I found really disturbing was the fact that these machines that he gave them to work on, these sewing machines were faulty and old and they weren't well-maintained. So there's a, this in the very beginning, the one lady mentions the fact that, you know, a needle snapped yesterday and it almost took her eye out. So yeah. what that means, it would literally snap and then because the sewing machine is still running, the needle would like fly off, you know, be the the, the, the broken piece and it would like, you know, uh, possibly blind you or maim you. And, and there is, in fact, a later bit where the old lady hurts her hand. And, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, if this was Picture House, or no, not Picture House, if this was um, the the uh, eerie uh, line of comics, I'm not talking about the, obviously, the Warren magazine. I mean, I, I mean the, the ones that copied EC at the time, the eerie imprint. Billy, you know which one right. I mean. Misty, you know yep. them? Oh, yeah. If this was them, they would have shown a graphic depiction of her hand like splayed open with the bones protruding through the flesh. But EC was more stylish, you know. They were more classic. They weren't going to go with the what what King Stephen King calls the gross out. You know, they they wanted to first freak you out with the implications of the horror. So, I mean, later EC would get really gross, but this story is more like a subtle kind of horror where they want you to to just imagine how hard how terrible it was for these women yeah yeah you're not kidding i mean and this guy too i mean everybody at some point in their life has had a boss that's a real jerk but this guy's not only verbally and like you know mentally abusive he's physically abusive too Mm -hmm. so 
when he gets his at the end, you, you know, he's like, you're like, yeah, good. This like that was even too good for him. <laughs> yeah, and guys, yeah. Ch- check out his name, Mister Lash. Mr. Lash. Very, <laughs> very Lash. appropriate. <laughs> they're they're like subtle but not at all yeah they're not very they're trying to be subtle but nah they just throw subtly out the window (laughs) yeah i mean he's slapping hitting punching pulling hair like kicking he's like he looks like a gorilla to begin with and then he's really physically abusive but yeah oh when the panel comes to where they they've had enough of him you can see the fear and the terror on his face and they just oh man it's great (laughs) you just see them coming forward with these faces these murderous faces on that they're gonna make him pay and And they do and it's great and Mm -hmm. sewing needles yeah they they turn the they turn the the symbol in this story at least the symbol of oppression and of of slavery they turn this sewing needle as a symbol into a into a symbol of murder (laughs) so they invert (laughs) the needle (laughs) i love it i love it yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> now, now, guys, I don't know if this has disturbed you when you were kids, or but when I was a kid, we used to play lots of rugby and stuff, and you know, South Africa is big on that sport, and um, that's like the only sport you play in school as a as a kid, as a boy, and you have to play. Everybody has to play. They've got like, you know, A team, B team, C team. So even if you suck, <laughs> you got to play rugby, right? <laughs> so you know, yeah. rugby has these um, these uh, uh, you know studded. Uh, shoes that we call tocks and um at least that's a british term for them and you know uh-huh. when you get rucked by these tocks in the mall which is called the mall you know when you're all like struggling for the ball it could really seriously like rip some fissures in your body right so when i was a kid i got this on my knee i've still got the scar where this one guy just rucked open my my knee with the metal studs on the on his tocks and uh you know i had to get stitches and, you know, when the doctor started, obviously I got some kind of anesthetic, right? But when he started, mm-hmm. you know, putting in the stitches, I think it was like 16 stitches or so, I vomited at the site because it was so horrific seeing this needle <laughs> and thread go into my flesh and come out again and like him pulling it, you know, tight. And I was like, oh, my God. So, you know, this is not eyeball horror level, you know, terror that I felt, but I definitely hate <laughs> stitches you know like stitches especially stitches that aren't done well you know like when which you see in horror movies like hellraiser (laughs) or stuff like that you know some of the cenobites i hate stitches now this guy wow he got stitched (laughs) properly (laughs) stitched yeah they used a lot on this guy and i will say too the thing that really pushed the women over the edge was you know they had already put up with all this abuse for God only knows how many weeks, months, or years even. And he really snapped out on the probably the oldest looking lady in the shop. And she ended up having like a nervous breakdown because like Misty said, you needed a job, you needed money just to eat. And he kept threatening to fire her. And she eventually just had, you know, a, a, a mental breakdown. And that was it for the rest of the women. When they heard that, they just, they flipped and they were like, that's it. <laughs> he, yeah. put her on, he put her on the scrap box which, yeah which was the late 1800 punishment uh for working women in the sewing rooms where you would have to tie bits of thread together and then by by color and then rewind them around spools 
and it, it was just really meant to be a punishment so yeah. she in, she injured herself he was he blamed her for her own injury and then punished her by putting her on the scrap box making her work when she was injured after like <laughs> kicking her i feel like he probably also kicked her so like he's been abusing these ladies so but yeah, they've had enough. Um, but yeah, he puts her on this scrap box. So he's just, he's so irredeemable. By the time you get to the end of the story, it's just such a good feeling to watch him be uh, have his face sewn shut, his mouth sewn shut and to be lit on fire. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. yeah, there's a fire and the ladies just walk out like, see you later, pal. You can't do anything. <laughs> That's right. And you know, the way he's posing is like he's praying, you know, at the end when he's he's dying in the fire. It's like his hands are, you know, they're in like a kind of a prayer position, right? But the ladies <laughs> tied it like that. So he's like, yeah. trying to atone for his sins at the very end <laughs> sorry too little too late and you know he gets the scrap box that that not that's knocked off the shelf and it, it he's you know covered in this twine almost as if the old lady's ghost sort of got some revenge there at the very end even though she wasn't it wasn't really a, a ghost tale i mean there's nothing supernatural about this story really uh, unless you want to no, count no 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 but you know it almost seems supernatural in its um you know, irony. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. And, and you know yeah. this? Yeah. What do you think, Misty? Um, I think the fire at the end is perhaps the magical part because yeah. them attacking him and sewing his mouth shut and his hands together in a prayer position because he needs to pray because this guy's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Damn. You know what? But, what? Uh, what yeah you're right I but mean, then the fire starts and i think it's uh I, the fire is kind of out of nowhere so that's almost it's like a cleansing thing you know <laughs> it's, it's symbolic cleansing fire uh and it's an accident so they they attack him not an accident but the fire uh god's will <laughs> yeah i'm thinking that that must be you well, know some form yeah, of divine punishment some... There's some foreshadowing there, like you said, Herman. It shows the guy, he looks like he's either standing or on his knees with his hands in a praying position, and he's being, like, consumed by the fire. It's starting to, like, rise up around him. So a little foreshadowing there about uh, where his future is if he uh, believes in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, this is – oh, man, that's a good point. You know, this is a classic example of the EC guys taking a well-known uh, adage – a well-known saying or like uh, stitch in time saves nine and they build a story around it you know so i'm thinking mm -hmm. this this the the obviously they had the idea that was you know um inspired by this this adage and then they built the story around that you know like a stitch in time saves nine let's look they probably looked at a book of you know like americanisms or you know well-known sayings um what does that mean no, it just just means that you know if you um, uh, you know uh, mend uh, something in you know in time, you know if you fix a situation before it escalates, then you save you know like you know nine lives, or you know it's just because of the rhyme, right, Billy? Or am I wrong? That's what at least what I remember it meaning. Um, yeah, it's just so yeah, yeah, yeah interesting you'd say that because in the panel where they are starting to fight back against the boss there are nine of them yeah yeah that's what the mm -hmm. old witch or, or the vault keeper sorry the vault keeper says at the end um oh. he says well a stitch in time saves nine 
Nine girls, that is. <laughs> <laughs> And then he, she, he, he even goes further. <laughs> he sort of like, you know, he doesn't want to stop. He's just like, he who lash, lashed, lashed best. <laughs> so he's like, laughs last. <laughs> But he turns it into oh. lash. That was oh. just too, yeah, too, too much. But, you know, <laughs> hey, quit while you're ahead, Vault Keeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah fantastic so yeah i was glad you guys asked me on because i was dying to talk some ec and like i said this is one of my favorites <laughs> oh yeah this is a classic billy thanks man no it's it's a great yeah, one and know. johnny craig man he's so good at drawing you know faces and he, he drew every face in this brilliantly even the suffering of the old woman i could feel it you know so yeah mm -hmm. well well picked billy great horror there and great <laughs> art All right, now we get to arguably one of the most famous EC stories, definitely in the in everybody's top 10 if you think about a general list of EC stories. And also um, uh, one of the best by this artist that Misty that you're going to be um, talking about. Um, so Misty, your turn. What did you pick for this Halloween selection? I chose Taint the Meat. It's the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. That's... Tales from the Crypt, issue number 32, uh, published 1952. This is illustrated by Jack Davis and written by L. Feldstein. Stein. Stein? Yeah, Feldstein. Feldstein. Sorry, Feldstein, Feldstein right? <laughs> Feldstein, yeah. Al Feldstein. What the... You just screwed me up there as yeah. well. <laughs> Al Feldstein. <laughs> And this one is hosted by the Crypt Keeper himself. Okay, before I do my summary of the story, I just want to provide a little bit of history so that our listeners understand this story, even though our listeners probably have already read this story and understand the history, but, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, th this, was, this is kind of a cool thing about EC Comics and these stories where writers were referencing things they remembered from their... Uh, history is that it taught me something while I was reading it because they, they, they set them in historical settings and it gives them this very timeless feel where, you know, like the story we were just talking about takes place in a factory in the late 1800s, but it could take place somewhere on earth today. Uh, the situations that people work in are still bad in oh, yeah. places around the world so that could that's still a relevant story today um and yeah definitely so this is a story of, about corruption uh, and that's maybe that's what it is it's they kind of get down to like these essential uh flaws of humanity maybe perhaps or just these dynamics that we have these these silly and evil things that we do as human beings 
trying to survive in the in the system that we live in. We live in a society. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> history. So just a little bit of the history of behind this story. Um, in the United States during World War II, the Emergency Price Control Act granted the OPA, or the Office of Price Administration, the authority to set price limits and ration food and other commodities. And uh, they allotted a certain amount of points to each food item based on its availability. Customers were allowed to use blue points to buy canned, bottled, or dried foods, and red points to buy meat, fish, and dairy. And that is if the items were in stock. So that's just uh, to set the scene here. This story takes place in World War II. And it is under the conditions of blue points and red points food rationing that is happening for the war. And, yeah. Are you guys familiar with this history? No, not at all. I mean, I knew you were going to research this, Misty, because you have a knack for it. So I just let you, I just gave you free reign. (laughs) I'm just like waiting for you to drop the knowledge. But I wasn't, I was. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, Billy, what about you? I mean, yeah, I knew they had rationed a lot of things. Um, during, especially during World War II, but there have been some other economic times in the United States too, where they rationed things like gasoline. Even you know, you could only go on certain days of the week. I think it was late '70s, early '80s, or at least in the late '70s, where you can only go on certain days of the week to get gasoline for your car and stuff like that, which sounds crazy. But yeah, my grandmother passed away about seven years ago, and she grew up on a farm with eight brothers and sisters, so big, you know, big family. So they didn't really have to worry too much about rationing of food because you lived on a farm and they had all sorts of things on a farm, you know, and apple trees and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, anybody that grew up during the, uh, you know, 1920s, late 20s and 1930s during the Depression era, you you know what it's like to live during tough times. So some of the stories she would tell me when I was a little kid and I just would sit there just in awe, you know, because I'd be like, hey, I want this toy for Christmas. And she'd be like, yeah, one Christmas I got an apple for Christmas. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. Sorry, so stop whining. Yeah, she was like, stop whining if you don't get a Transformer. Oh, no. I don't want to hear it. Like, think about that. And I'm like, holy crap. And, you know, it stuck with me my whole life that you know, that generation, they just – they knew how to get every ounce out of everything, mm. you know, whether it was, you know, uh, anything you use around the house or food or whatever. It's just different times for sure. But, yeah, that's that's scary if you think about it, having to ration food just so everybody can have some. Yeah. Yeah. We were yeah. lucky, actually, if you think about it, guys. I mean, lucky. We've got different other a whole lot of different set of problems to deal with. Right. But I mean, um, it's nothing compared to, I think, what those people faced. So you're right. They know hardship that we will never know. I mean, we might still know. Who knows, you know? <laughs> but I hope we never do because that's that's a clear-cut case of having to learn from history and be grateful for, you know, what, what you have available to you. you know? Yeah, for sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. so Misty, uh, continue. This this is very interesting. I, di- I didn't know about the point system. I, obviously, when I read the story, I knew that this was based off, off of historical fact, but I didn't even bother researching it because I know you, you would definitely pick up my slack. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I get curious about things, and I like to know the context in which something is taking place in order for me to understand it better and just understand somebody's mindset. You know, desperate times call for desperate measures, so 
Mr. Gristle here in our story. <laughs> Gristle. <laughs> uh-huh. Another incredible name. <laughs> subtle, not subtle. <laughs> Mr. Gristle the Butcher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, despite the fact that ration books were explicitly intended for the sole use by the named recipient, a barter system developed whereby people traded one type of stamp for another and black markets began cropping up all over the country in which forged ration stamps or stolen items were illegally resold. So one, 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 uh-huh. you know, one drawback of trying to uh, do rations is people will find a way around it. It's hard to, it's, it's hard, you can't tell everybody what to do. As <laughs> we've learned in 2020. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. Especially not the idiots. <laughs> So people find ways around it, and it's what our story's about. All right, I will start. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the Crypt of Terror. The Crypt Keeper introduces our story using a bunch of great meat puns. He (laughs) says... (laughs) He doesn't miss. Crypt Keeper doesn't miss. One avid fan sent me a cleaver with directions on what he wanted me to do with it but it didn't sink in (laughs) (laughs) then he tells us he has a story that might tickle your spare ribs and seamlessly segues into our story (laughs) with the joke as the nauseous cannibal remarked on a particularly hot day taint the meat it's the humanity <laughs> he's right that's exactly right one of the b- better one of the best titles probably he's ever come up with double meaning innuendo it's got everything you know he's such a joker i just love that about him you know he's so funny just before you continue misty wasn't it also jarring for you guys to realize that you know the crypt keeper that we grew up with was not the Crypt Keeper from the old classic comics. I was so disappointed when I saw this guy first. What? He's like some old hermit. He's like a monk. He's like this. But then when when you read his humor, he's he's that's where the puns obviously came from from the the skeletal Crypt Keeper from the TV show. But he the old easy stuff's even better, you know, than, than some of the Crypt Keeper's cheesy lines oh, from the. Oh, what do you guys think? I almost prefer this Crypt Keeper. That's almost blasphemy. Oh but... yeah. I prefer this one. Yeah, this is the best. <laughs> he is the most flesh on his face. <laughs> he's much he's much fleshier, and I like that in a man, you know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you won't want, want some bony guy, you know, um, around. No, you're right. So, um, Crypt Keeper, you know, in, in, in Misty's estimation, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> If you had to like tear them, you know, sexier than perhaps the. I'm thinking of the TV show Crypt Keeper. <laughs> we but, know. But yeah, I have yeah. a sense of humor, you know, so. It's That's really appealing just... in a man, yeah. They're both really cute. What can I say? <laughs> They're both just adorable cave dwelling creeps. <laughs> That's right. Plus, the, the modern day Crypt Keeper, the skeletal one, has got this kind of a Hugh Hefner vibe. <laughs> so, you know, he's very popular with the ladies. He does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
sorry to, to put you off on a tangent there, but this is the Crypt Keeper. Come on, he's probably the greatest horror host of all time. You know, not not my favorite, but he's definitely in my top five. And uh, we, had, we had to say something about him. Of course. We could even do a whole episode on the Crypt Keeper and just his best jokes, maybe. Yeah, definitely. His best jokes, uh, his character, look into yeah. who, who is he based on? A real life person, you know. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Who, who yeah. was this? Who was this character? Where did he come from? Yeah, we could definitely do put that in for a future slot. You know, uh, to to discuss. Yeah. There's such a lot of things to say about him. You know, but um, listener, let yeah. us know if you want us to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll create a poll. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we'll create a poll. Okay, so should we start? Yeah, let's do this. Okay. We are in the United States during World War II. Our main character, Mr. Zach Gristle, owns a butcher shop, which he is opening for the day. He is newly popular in town, as his shop is one of the only places where people can use their red stamps to buy meat. He runs his shop on a first-come, first-served basis and tries his best to accommodate his regular customers, even though, because of the war, He often does not have what they want in stock. His customers are understanding and even appreciate and respect him for his fair business practices. One day, Mr. Vandercliff comes into his shop. And Mr. Vandercliff is a wealthy man and offers to pay him a little extra for the nice steak. (laughs) Mr. Mr. Gristle is offended. He puts his finger up in the air. But that's dishonest. That's black market. <laughs> Mr. Vandercliff sees this reaction, but goes ahead and offers him a deal anyway. He tells Mr. Gristle that he knows more people who will pay for who will pay extra for the best cuts of meat, and if he would sell it to them, he could get rich. And doesn't he want to be rich? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? Doesn't everybody want to be rich? Yeah. So right? how far would... Don't you want to be rich? Yeah. <laughs> and you want to eat. <laughs> he says, why don't you think about it? Might as well make hay while the sun shines. Which is something you, is a good thing to say to somebody when you're trying to convince them to do... <laughs> to be corrupt <laughs> hey might as well make hay while the sun shines am i right yeah, i'm gonna use that next time i'm trying to push someone over to the bad side <laughs> yeah yeah very convincing yeah somebody you, you, you see um that happening on a table and you're like yeah might as well make hay while the sun shines <laughs> Oh, take it. No, just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> no, crime. don't. Well, it's don't been done in. recently, right? With with everything that's been going on. So we've, we've, we've got a, you know, ringside seats to people doing this, right, guys? <laughs> yeah, there's actually too many people making yeah. hay. Yeah. Sunshine. Off of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrible. Too much hay. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. Oh, yep. I'm just getting too much into the thinking about hay. Yeah. <laughs> Millions of dollars of hay. <laughs> Tens of billions of dollars of hay. Emolument claws. <laughs> <laughs> Later that day, Mr. Gristle is sitting at the table with his wife, Sarah, and son, Junior. His wife is scolding their son. Junior, eat your meat! 
I feel bad for doing that voice. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> like a vixen. He is looking at Junior's uneaten meat. You can leave that in. <laughs> He's looking at Junior's uneaten meat, and all he can think about is how many points it cost him. This motivates him to take up Mr. Vandercliff's offer and join the black market meat trade. During the night, Mr. Gristle begins selling his meat to local shadowy figures who pay top dollar. And during the day, he would sell the leftovers to his regular customers. But Mr. Vandercliff's orders are getting larger and larger. Mr. Gristle is running out of meat to sell to his regular customers, and he doesn't have enough points to buy meat to satisfy his black market customers and his regular customers. Yeah, this oh, is where no. the story, this is where it takes a turn, right? This is the, the crux mm -hmm. of the story here. Mm -hmm. There's actually oh, yeah. a really great panel of the Crypt Keeper who he's getting into the story and he <laughs> sitting at a radio mic <laughs> right with binoculars <laughs> yes he's scamming he's like betting he's, he's he's making bets i love how he gets into the story we'll talk about that after the story it's one of my favorite things okay where am i gotta scroll scroll okay uh, so, Mr. Vandercliff's orders are getting larger and larger. He doesn't have enough points to buy the meat. Uh, so, Mr. Vandercliff, always ready with a good idea, <laughs> asks <laughs> Mr. Gristle if there is any meat he can get without points. And the answer is yes. He can get meat without points. Mr. Gristle starts selling horse meat. Ugh. <laughs> That, that's a no-no for Americans right there. I mean, isn't that the whole reason why you hate the French? Because <laughs> oh America... Oh, I, I don't know. I can't speak for America. Do we still have a thing about the French? No, 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 no. Not anymore. But, you know, the French still <laughs> like their horse steaks. And Americans, you know, they love their horses. Oh. <laughs> that was Ikea. Well, the last thing I heard about it was like an Ikea meatball situation. That was the last horse meat in the news debacle yes last horse meat debacle but I don't judge anybody for eating a horse honestly like if I was hungry enough I would totally eat a horse yeah I mean well with what carnivores right I mean I would never eat a horse or a dog but because here in Asia dog meat you know not in Taiwan but you know in, in, in Korea and in China they've got dog farms I a horse and a dog I would never eat but if I'm starving of course you never know I still I wouldn't. I eat... Yeah, I wouldn't eat a dog. Come on, I'd die with my dog. We'd starve together, and I'd let him eat me before I eat him. But <laughs> yeah, but the thing about a horse, though, is it's nice and big. A dog's not gonna last long, so like, why <laughs> oh would you bother? But a horse. Wow. That lasts you a week, so that's like, you know. Very economical thinking there, Misty. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I, I, I wouldn't want to be trapped with you in a snowdrift, you know, um, you know, in the 1800s. <laughs> hey, guys, Herman looks quite tasty over there. He'll feed a lot of us. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of Donner Party. Another, that reminds me of another really great horror comic about a guy who gets trapped in a, in a cabin with his wife and she eats everything in the cabin, even the candlesticks. Oh, and uh, 
he he goes insane and you obviously yeah, know yeah. what happens sent mm-hmm. into cannibalism oh man mm-hmm. <laughs> disturbing disturbing <laughs> yes disturbing and let's hope we don't so so you're not coming on my skiing trip that i invited you <laughs> nope i'm gonna give that a big miss <laughs> are you saying you're not you're not coming skiing with me okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna gonna give a hard pass. <laughs> I can't believe this is now recorded for everyone to hear. That's fine. It's good. Um. Okay. So where were we? Oh, he starts selling horse meat, but it's a temporary solution, unfortunately. Greedier and greedier for meat, Mister Vandercliff puts in a huge order for two banquets worth of meat. Mr. Gristle has to satisfy the demand somehow. So he starts selling not only horse meat, but also old meat. And at this point, he knows he is doing something wrong because he asks the guy who sells him the meat not to say a word. Yep. So he knows he's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows that this is this is where things are going to go south. He's probably like already feeling like he's going too far. Like how far can he still go? But I'm I'm loving watching this descent into into hell, really, into purgatory uh, and madness. Madness, mm, definitely. <laughs> madness is is going to come very swiftly to one character, <laughs> but it would slowly descending upon Mister Gristle's head. But another character will quickly, you know, just. One, you know, one night and it's insanity for, for that character that we're going to meet. So, Misty, uh, uh, don't you just love the way that the, the Crypt Keeper has these little panels interspersed throughout the story and every single panel reflects what's happening? You know? Oh, I love it. I love how the Crypt Keeper really gets into the stories and he seems to have parallel experiences to <laughs> yeah. what is happening in the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's great. Uh, like uh. when he's he's counting a big stack of cash because you know Mr. Gristle has money on the mind. He's thinking about money. He's looking at his son's plate and he's thinking about the dollar value amount of the meat that his son will not eat for dinner. And he's like, ah, yeah, <laughs> mm, black market. I got to get into that black market. Mm. Yeah, and then the hot water bottle one when the tainted meat starts to you know obviously have an effect on the townsfolk. Um, that that panel with the crypt keeper is great. Yeah. The thermometer and <laughs> cough syrup this, or whatever. <laughs> in this story, he does some scamming. He tells us about his a scam he ran during the war, where he dug up coffins and <laughs> cleaned them off and resold them. <laughs> because there was a shortage of coffins during the war. <laughs> wow! Oh, ridiculous. <laughs> And like like you said, Herman, he eats the tainted meat. These people in the village, they're eating tainted meat. He eats the meat with them. He gets sick with them. He's yeah. empathizing with the characters of the story so much. Yeah, the sign of a fanatical but very effective uh, narrator. <laughs> yeah. He, he partakes of the story. He doesn't just observe it. You know, um <laughs> impartially he's partial to the story <laughs> yeah yeah he's like living it along with them and and on, on and kind of experiencing the horror but 
but he's the crypt keeper so he's sort of invincible you know like he can eat tainted meat and live he's he'll be okay yeah, yeah he's a supernatural being. Um, he's all good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unfortunately that's not the story for the people in the town who buy mr gristle's tainted meat uh and his old meat his horse meat and his old meat that he's now selling the village so surprise his customers start getting sick people and people start suspecting there's a poisoner on the loose and they don't know that is the result of the tainted meat yeah because <clears throat> mr gristle occupies a position of high esteem in this little town so he's the last person they'll suspect because you know he's serving the community literally and figuratively <laughs> <laughs> One night, while Mr. Gristle is out for a walk, the rancid meat dealer stops by his house with a shipment of slop. His wife opens the door, and thinking she's in on it, the dealer tells her all about his arrangement to sell rancid meat to her husband. You know, the stale meat, the junk, the stuff he's been selling is good stuff. Tell him I've got some horse meat for him, too. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and the Crypt Keeper, like, compliments, you know, well, obviously these folks, like, they should have known better. Just just with the indignant look that his wife had. But, you know, they didn't let that deter them. <laughs> you know, they just rat him out. Don't they realize that this is also going to make their house of cards come tumbling down? It's 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 just horrible, but yeah, this is what happens, folks. When you sooner or later, there will come a time when the truth will out, right? And this is it for Mister Gristle. The descent. Yeah, the descent. Ooh, ah, good movie. That's what this story is. It's ultimately about people kind of rationalizing things to themselves to yeah. do more and more sort of depraved things and doing harm to their communities. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Sarah, his wife, rushes to the shop where she sees Mr. Gristle, her husband, <laughs> handing a package of meat to Mr. Vandercliff. She warns him that it might be horse meat. Mr. Vandercliff lets it spill that actually his meat is the good stuff. So this is when it dawns on her that her husband is selling meat on the black market and selling tainted meat to his customers. And they fight. <laughs> he tries to rationalize it to her by telling her that they will be rich. But she does not care. Even though she disapproves of him, she stays with him. 1940s? Uh, question mark? <laughs> yeah, you didn't have much choice. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband is a reprehensible meat, you know, a poisoning mm-hmm. maniac. And you, you kind of have to just toe the line and stay with him, right? Divorce yeah, wasn't a thing. Yeah, he was a meat... Sorry, Billy. Yeah, he was a meat handler. <laughs> meat handler. <laughs> the midnight meat man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No judgment to Sarah. She does. She's doing what she has to do. It's the forties, you know. More judgment on Mister Gristle, who just keeps. He knows he's. Oh, he knows it's not good. People are getting sick. His wife is mad. They've had a fight. Uh, So even though he knows he's up to no good, he keeps going. And one day he's doing business with his rancid meat dealer 
who tells him he has a special and spoiled meat that has been treated with a process to cover it up. He buys the spoiled meat and sells it to his regular customers. This time, he has gone too far. Mr. Gristle is working in his shop when he learns that someone who bought his meat has died. He considers leaving town. (laughs) In a rush, he closes early. On his way out, he runs into the sheriff, who tells him to watch out for the maniac that has been poisoning everyone. (laughs) This maniac (laughs) has killed four people. (laughs) He gets home and tells Sarah to pack her things. They're leaving town. That four people are dead. Sarah, realizing what he has done, tells him, You're a murderer! And he says, I did it for you and Junior! And Sarah says, Junior, he's eating at Herbie Horton's house. And then he says, Horton, she bought some of the spoiled meat. And then we see poor little Junior staggering into the living room, holding his stomach and moaning. <laughs> I'm oh, man. Sick, mommy. Oh, he's dressed in his little. <laughs> His little bonanza, you know, like fan outfit. Oh, it's horrible. I feel sick, mommy. And oh. poor little junior dies. He feels over, yeah. Yeah. The greatest. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That's... You just see his little feet sticking out of the mm-hmm. corner of the panel. Yeah. <laughs> it's little white socks. Oh, it's horrible. He's dead, Zach. Uh... Dead! <laughs> and Sarah, distraught at witnessing the poisoning death of her son by her husband, picks up a large butcher knife and advances upon Mr. Gristle. The next morning, they open the shop and we see Sarah behind the counter in the display case. <laughs> that Gristle has been carved up and laid out in various trays. <laughs> With his little glasses splayed up there on on some intestines. Oh man! Oh, th- this is horrific. Okay, Doctor Wortham, you oh, had great. a point. <laughs> wow, this is a great story. Oh, so good. <laughs> so, listeners, you wonder why this is one of the best out there, best easy stories of all time. This is why. Oh. Jeez, I love the way she displayed him too. You know, like she she kept his his head and his face with the the shot the look of terror on it when he died when she carved him up. Uh huh. Oh, and don't you just love her descent into madness there at the end when she's like, "You killed him too, our son, eh, 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 our son." <laughs> when she she loses her mind. Yeah, that's uh-huh. that's the, the wording moment. in that bubble is really nice. The way that it's it's smaller and then larger. It's just um, it's like artistic the the decision to make the text the font bigger. Yeah, the lettering. Well, yeah. Yes, the lettering. Thank you. They were doing it all. Uh, yeah, back then, Jack Davis, he was doing everything: the penciling, the inking, the lettering. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, you can even see some parts where they uh, the the crypt keeper, especially, he breaks panel. You know, he 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 goes across panel borders. You know. To, to point out certain events or certain things, to emphasize what's happening. So, yeah, Jack Davis, man, a master of the, the form in those early days already. Wow, guys. Billy, what did you think of this tale? Yeah. It's amazing. 
Yeah, oh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, you got to give all the credit in the world to this creative team here, Al Feldstein and Jack Davis. You know, I know Jack Davis is one of your favorites, Herman. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. He did a great job in this one. It's incredible artwork. But, yeah, the names. These people in this town, the names. Mrs. Vinkle, Mr. Fuddy, Mrs. <laughs> Dickelborg. <laughs> Mr. Snarkman. <laughs> Mr. Snurd. Yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. It's like, Mrs. You know, Gabber. <laughs> ridiculous naming convention here and then the gristles of course is the best and then they come up with all these colorful names and then the kid is junior <laughs> yeah just junior yeah that was junior. jarring <laughs> oh, okay. hilarious hilarious i love it but yeah oh great story and I-, I love it man these these revenge stories are hilarious but uh yeah typical ec but it's that's why ec was great you know and i love the world war ii tie-in you know misty talked about that was really cool too i really enjoyed their stories best when they had those like i said the morality plays or they tied it into the times that to me was when they were at their greatest for sure <laughs> yeah no definitely definitely misty now that's a good one I, I wasn't um expecting you to pick something this you know great uh, but you know obviously i should have known better <laughs> because this this is the be- one of the best of the best you know stories out there it's so. so good there's so much to like about it we probably could have done a whole episode on this one yeah just like the the art style and the paneling the way that the the expressions on the characters faces are drawn so so well but it, they're exaggerated to just the right line between like horrific and realistic you know yeah. it's yeah. like uh, when the mr gristle is yelling at his wife ha huh, Ask old Snorkman about his gasoline business. Find out about Finch's tire racket. Everybody's doing it. Why shouldn't I? And like, <laughs> he's leaning over and pointing at himself, and his the way his face looks, it's borderline monstrous. The character uh-huh. is borderline monstrous, and you see that actual visual transformation from the beginning of the story when we meet him. And he looks like a regular dude. He's just a friendly guy in glasses. He's smiling. He's selling his meat. He's happy. Uh, yeah. But in the panel, he's the way that he's drawn, you can see even physically he's descending into a monstrous place. Yeah, I mean, this he's is... He's deranged. Yeah. yeah, he's deranged. This is a classic case of, of sort of... Uh, uh, well, it's Mr. Vandercliff who kicks this off, but um, he's kind of like the Lucifer-like figure here. Um, and then Mr. Uh, Gristle being seduced by money and wealth and, you know, um, then his descent into evil. So, it, you know, some people are born evil, <laughs> arguably, you know, not, but, you know, um, they become evil. This is a, a classic case of that, you know, where, where you have sort of like this... Um, you know this uh, building's roman almost you know this journey where you go through these these harrowing events and then you rather than being tempered right like steel you sort of melt and become this horrible sludge <laughs> which is what happened to mr gristle and um yeah at the end he's he's completely evil he he's completely willing to just i mean he wants to 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 make a run for it but he's probably going to pick up this racket again in another town because he's now addicted to, to to money and also to you know he's he's completely thrown all humanity out the window. He's just gonna keep poisoning people. But his wife, man, that was a turn 
for the books at the end there where she completely snapped it's completely believable too because her son just died in front of her mm-hmm. you know horrifically from food poisoning and yeah Mr. Gristle is to blame so obviously she her mind snapped and she she's a butcher's wife so it's completely believable that she would be able to carve up meat <laughs> you know that's what I'm thinking yeah. good lord tainted meat mm-hmm. tainted meat anyone they're at the very end oh <laughs> Jack Davis he did such a good job here he's, he's so good yeah. at drawing these seedy characters too like the meat seller the horse meat man Vandercliff you know who who, who looks very Trump-esque yeah. yeah there's lots of good good points you know in this good Vandercliff char- he kind of looks like a toad he has like a toadish face yeah and he smokes a cigar. And there's just something about the combination of those two things that really speak a lot to his character. That might be, it might just be a character that, that is seen in other media and, and movies and things like that. You know, like the, the, the wealthy toad face man with yeah. the cigar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wealthy businessman who also resembles an amphibian. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. No, this is definitely it. You know what? What? What got me? Yeah, this is obviously all thanks to Marie Severin's colors. Um, the scale in the butcher shop. You know, the scale is red, blood red. You know, and um, you know, I always, uh, you know, when I when I went to butcher shops or went with places with scales, you know, supermarkets at the back where where they sold the meat, the scale was always like white. This is this is very disturbing for me seeing this scale. You know, showing this blood red color. Uh, lots of little asides like that, like the darkness in the seedy meeting room where there, where he delivers the meat to Vandercliff. You know, it, it looks like an interrogation chamber or something. All of these little bits that, that uh, Davis must have done consciously, but it could have been subconsciously because at this point in time he had done, well, almost a hundred horror tales. So, you know, he probably just now, it's it's he's running on autopilot here, but... Yeah, it's just so many good beats in the story. So, yeah, one of the classics for sure. So, guys, yeah, I know. Are we going to head off to our last story? And then, um, yeah, we give them an overall rating. Uh All right. So it's going to be tough, though, because this one's hard to beat. The first one was already great. (laughs) I don't know if mine will compare. Because these two didn't have a supernatural angle. Mine I picked because I like the supernatural stories. I like the stories about, you know, zombies, werewolves, and vampires. So I went for that. So I'm kind of glad how it worked out because think about it. Each of us picked a story with a different artist, highlighting a different type of story, you know. But, um, you know, and I picked the the supernatural story. Misty, you picked the, the sort of serial killing you know, cannibal kind of not not cannibal serial killing. You know, a descent into madness. Billy, you picked the you know the 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 vengeance. You know, um, ironic vengeance tale. This one that I picked yeah. was by my second favorite EC artist, but it's my favorite EC story. Um, it's also one of the very first ones I read, so I don't know if that has anything. <laughs> probably a lot to do with it. But um, it's a winner for me, and it's from The Haunt of Fear, number 14, from July to August 1952. Um, And it's by Graham Ingalls, also known as Ghastly Graham Ingalls, and also colors by Marie Severin. It's a tale called A Little Stranger. 
All right, so um, I'm going to head right into the synopsis here. And this is presented by the old witch, by the way. Very important fact here that we have to take into account because this is sort of a, an origin story, if you will. Straight from the haunt mm -hmm. of fear. Yeah. The old witch presents a tale of doomed love and supernatural origins, a tale that could only be called a little stranger. Our story starts long ago in the hills of Bavaria, where villagers come upon the exsanguinated and half-devoured corpse of one of their fellows. Logically, they deduce that since this could not have been the work of either a vampire or a werewolf, it must have been the work of both, because after all, the body was consumed but also drained of blood. That's right, fear friends, a vampire-werewolf duo is stalking the Bavarian countryside, at least according to the old witch, and they're hunting down the hapless villagers. But as it turns out, the villagers are um, right on the money because this is in fact what's happening here. Uh, we're treated to a tender scene after these events of a vampire embracing her werewolf lover, Zorgo and Alicia. They've been in love for ages, ever since they met at the site of one of Zorgo, the werewolf's fresh kill so many years ago. And after that fateful night, they've wandered Europe, killing in tandem during the full moon, indulging in romantic moonlit strolls afterwards, dreaming of a time when they could finally find someone or something who will formally marry them. And when the dawn comes, Elisha retires to her coffin where she would sleep for one month until the next full moon while Zorgo reverts to his human form, a seedy mountain hermit. And he protects Alicia's coffin by day, occasionally transporting it to safer locations once the locals start to tally up their dead and come seeking retribution. Unfortunately for Zorgo and Alicia, their luck has finally run out as they are discovered by a vengeful mob shortly after Zorgo's flashback of how they met. Within seconds, Zorgo is felled by a silver bullet while Elisha is brutally and mercilessly staked. The villagers then carry their bodies as trophies back to the village where they are interred in the Devil's Cemetery, a burial ground for evildoers and the unnatural. No sooner have the villagers retired to their beds though when the dead come calling. Rising from their charnel graves, they bear witness to the newly risen Elisha and Zorgo who have mysteriously been resurrected, albeit as the walking dead. A wedding is held that night, and nine months later, the dead gather again. This time, however, the occasion is to witness a birth. The birth of a disfigured but strangely familiar little girl, the offspring of the undead Zorgo and the twice-dead vampiress Elisha. So that's the, the long and short of it, folks. The story of Zorgo and Alicia, star-crossed or moon-crossed lovers. So, uh, guys, um, what did you think of this tale? We'll start with Billy first. Billy, um, did you have you read this one before, or was this um, you know new to you? Was this the first time you read it, and what did you think of this tale? So, this was the first time I've ever read this one, and it is easily, hands down, the craziest EC story I've ever read <laughs> yeah. in my life. Yeah, it's not even close. You know, the other ones always have like a, a linear plot and, you know, a revenge story or whatever. Like, and you said sometimes there's supernatural stories too, like in Haunt of Fear, more of the supernatural ones. But still, the supernatural ones usually had, you know, 
your typical werewolf vampire zombie story whatever but this is the craziest story ever a werewolf <laughs> hooking up with a vampire and then they want to get married for some insane reason i mean who cares you're running around biting people and doing whatever you want why do you need to be married but okay and then they finally get their wish of getting married after they've been killed and zombified and then they have a baby it's, like, <laughs> it's a crazy and story ever the baby turns out to be the old witch <laughs> the old witch yeah oh my gosh too too crazy yeah this is the wildest story ever by this far is the I most batshit insane <laughs> origin story of all time misty what did you think mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story of love at first fright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You see, uh, this is... I love... Yeah. Graham Ingalls oh, at his best. Sorry, go ahead. I'm still getting used to uh, listening and not talking over everybody with my excitement. Okay. <laughs> the, ca- the characters in this one have great imaginations. I love how in the beginning of the story, the group of men that find the body immediately jump to it's a vampire and a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, first they argue over it because they're experts at this point in time, these Bavarians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. it must have been really up there on the list of things you would die from in ancient... <laughs> ancient Bavaria <laughs> old school but I don't know not ancient but yeah this is 1700s 1800s yeah old world Bavaria mm-hmm. yeah um and yeah like you said Billy it's interesting how the vampire and werewolf are incredibly powerful creatures of the night but they want to conform to human societal standards <laughs> like putting Mary <laughs> like why do you care about this <laughs> Yeah, crazy. It reminds me of a weird war story, The Alien Among Us. Yeah, which we recently covered. Yeah. Like, why go Mm -hmm. through the whole process of honeymooning? (laughs) (laughs) Monsters, they're just like us. Yeah. They have the same needs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I also wonder about the vampire and their relationship. Like, she likes this werewolf when he is a wolf but not when he's in his human form yeah she's she only wants to see him once a month she's yeah. like yeah just call me when you're a wolf <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the rest of the month you just haul my coffin around to different locations <laughs> yeah it's true he's like um he's he's sort of completely obsessed with her because you know, when he, he falls asleep next to her coffin, he's like, the last words he says before heading off to dreamland is, Alicia, my Alicia. <laughs> he loves her. <laughs> I guess uh-huh. that's how it is, especially in these pandemic days. Sometimes you can only see somebody once a month. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> well, that's more your your bag there, Misty. Sorry to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure a lot of people are going through that. You know, that they have a healthy uh, distancing, a healthy oh, distance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love the art so much. There's a scene where they're getting married, and it's um, just beautiful. It's uh, let's see, kind of like, it's monochromatic, I suppose, just one color, yeah. and then black and white. Uh, with the beautiful ruinous arch arches and the bats flying through the air and the hollow the the 
tree branch with an owl sitting on it. It's just, it's got everything you'd ever want at a wedding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you've even got him carrying her over the threshold, (laughs) you know, with the stake still jutting from her breast. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> right. That that scene that you were talking about, Misty, it almost looks like it's a underwater scene. You know, look look at the the way the 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 robes or the tattered cloth are flowing off of the dead who have risen. You know, these are literal zombies, folks. They're not just ghosts. You know, they're the the corpses risen from the grave. And then there's this type of hooded figure who's you know, uh, marrying them, who's the priest or, or acting as the priest. You don't know who he is, but he's the, he could be death himself. He could be the reaper. We don't know. Um, but he's, he's the one, you know, conducting the wedding here. And then they're standing in front of him, bats flying above their heads. It's, it's a wonderful panel. I mean, that's, this is where Bernie Wrightson got his inspiration, folks, from Graham Ingalls. Yeah, Graham Ingalls, yeah. Mm, yeah, so, wow. Uh-huh. Not as good uh, story-wise as your two tales, but the plot does... It doesn't make sense, like you say. It, it's completely it's whack. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> but I love it because you... you how This is like a, a, a supernatural being's origin dialed up to 11, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is like... If, I, if someone had told me, hey, come up with the old witch's origin, I wouldn't have been able to do this. I, I would have been much more generic. I would have... Followed the normal horror tropes. But this, man, this is the craziest origin story of all time. Uh-huh. And um, the old witch is so proud of her folks. <laughs> you know, at the very end. <laughs> yep, it was a girl, kitties. It had a dead were- a vampire and a dead werewolf for an old man, you know. <laughs> she is, she's adorable, honestly. Oh, I love her cute. and how like cute she is for telling this story. You know, she's... Just wanting to share a little bit about herself with us. And it's not necessarily a scary story. It's actually kind of a, it's a romantic story. Yeah, it's, it's romantic. En- endearing. Yeah, I mean, you feel more scared for the monsters in this story than you do for the people that they're slaughtering night after night. I mean, for them, you know, it's not about <laughs> the slaughtering. It's about, hey, um, you know, meeting up and let's do what we do best together, you know? <laughs> That's that's exactly it humanizes them or like it gives us it brings us into their world where we now feel empathy for these monstrous creatures that we are scared by the rest of the time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love the way they first met, you know, over the, the, the dead body that the werewolf had just, you know, left. Because he probably thought it was some people coming, you know, um and gonna discover him. And then he sees she she stoops and then drinks from the body herself, and he realizes what she is, and then he immediately becomes you know possessive of his kill. He says like a dog or a wolf would, right? And she says she's taking the she she's more you know a diplomatic. She's like, why fight? There's enough for both of us. And then that's it. That's when they fall for each other. My name is Alicia, <laughs> and mine is Zargo. <laughs> <laughs> wow they hit it off right away love it they first found common common ground yeah yeah like misty like you said love it first what was it fright <laughs> love it first fright yeah so romantic so that's it folks um our three tales offered up to you uh like a platter of tainted meat <laughs> hope you take a 
health, a healthy serving, well, unhealthy serving, and uh, enjoy your chunk. <laughs> um, you know, I'm gonna. I've decided, you know, after listening to you guys, I'm still gonna go with the first stories rating system, which is bloody stitches. How many bloody stitches would you give the first tale? That's what I'm gonna go for first. So, Billy, you pick the first tale. You go first. How many bloody stitches does a stitch in time uh, rate for you? Well, for me, it's a five out of five. I definitely, for me, EC Comics is so top of the food chain. Honestly, I don't think I've ever read a horror story by them that I didn't think was at least a four out of five, if not a five out of five. To me, they're the gold standard for everything horror, especially horror comics, you know, obviously that came afterwards. And uh, yeah, I would give it five out of five, hands down, easy, no questions asked. Well, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, everything could be five out of five tonight if you think yeah. about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I cannot think of anything less than a five. You know, because I'm I'm a huge Donnie Craig fan. I love this the way this story played out. But Millie, uh, uh, Misty, <laughs> Millie, Millie the model. <laughs> I literally just read about Millie the model, you know, earlier when I was doing some quick research reading because, you know, she was, you know, prevalent in the 50s. These guys all drew her at one point in time. So, Misty, you're Millie from now on. No, I'm sorry. Take it back. I take it back. Misty, what did you think of A Stitch in Time? Five bloody stitches out of five bloody stitches. Yeah. My friends. Definitely. I'm going to, you know... Uh, go, you know, a little bit, you know, off the, the, the rails here. And I'm going to say, um, I don't agree with you guys. I'll, I'll give it a, a six out of five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something about a story where you can identify who the, the antagonist reminds you of. And then when something suitably horrible happens to them, you kind of like have this surge of elation. And that's mm-hmm. what happened when I read the story. Like Billy said, Billy, you mentioned having bosses or, 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 or folks that reminded you of this guy, Mr. Lash. Mm-hmm. I have had many. You know, particularly this guy reminded me of a video store owner who I used to work for. I mean, he was mean. He was, he was not physically abusive, but he was large. He was, you know, um, very, very unattractive looking, a sweaty guy, you know, a businessman <laughs> first. And he would like push his employees around. And especially the cleaning lady, you know, who was, um, you know, if you know South Africa in the late 80s, of course, this is still firmly the apartheid era, right? So he was especially mean to her. So this guy just reminded me of him. So that gave me some kind of a personal surge of happiness, (laughs) you know, when I read about his demise. So yeah, six out of five, (laughs) technically five (laughs) out of five guys. All right. So uh, (laughs) now we get to classic taint the meat. Billy, your thoughts? Oh, absolutely the same thing. I can't, I can't, I mean, the story is great. The artwork is great. You know, like I said, your your favorite, Jack Davis. You know, he is just on point here. Everything is super clean, super, like it's not, it doesn't have a super creepier, you know, uh, supernatural element to it. Like, you know, the, the final story here did, but it is very, you know, like when, the, the woman snaps at the end and comes at him with a knife. And there are definitely some moments of, uh, you know, your, your heart's kind of beating and pounding or you're thinking to yourself, wow, this guy's really going off the deep end when he starts to, you know, 
compromise his morals or principles just to make money. And, you know, again, just like the stitch in time story, that's a story we can all relate to either because we know someone personally who's gone down that road or it's something we, you know, there's been many of cases of that happening over the, the decades that, you know, you can relate to that story a lot. And then the ending is just superb. I love how like the guy's cut up in the meat case there. Oh, it's fantastic. So it's another five out of five for me. Yeah, that's the, the I can't be anything less. Misty, do you concur? Yes, five out of five. I, I, I love this story. It's why I picked it. Um, I'm halfway through my EC um, tome. Why can't I never? Omnibus. I can't yeah. never remember them. I'm halfway <laughs> through my EC omnibus of uh, the selection of hand-picked EC comic stories than when we were thinking about doing the Halloween special and uh, EC comics and picking our favorite stories. This one just jumped out at me. It's, it's, it says so much about humanity in seven pages or eight pages, you know, it's just, it, it's very relatable. We've all experienced the temptation to corruption and, and sort of, talks about how we are influenced by the world that we live in and we try to do our best but uh you do have to draw a line for yourself you know it, these are tough times maybe not for everyone but draw a line for yourself <laughs> mr gristle did not draw a line <laughs> he he knew what he was doing was wrong and he kept going anyway so yeah <clears throat> draw a line for yourself um and that's what I would like, I guess that's what I would say is maybe even the lesson of this story. Yeah. 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 I'm going to obviously can't uh, fault you guys for rating it five out of five. Jack Davis being my favorite EC artist um, and also my dad's favorite. Billy, you know about this, right? From a previous short, yeah. you know, uh, interlude episode uh, I did. Uh, all my dad, how he introduced me to Jack Davis through Mad Magazine mostly, but you know, my dad also having yeah. been a, a commercial artist, he had his heroes who inspired him, and he was also a mm -hmm. cartoonist. My dad, he was a caricaturist. You know, he would draw newspaper uh, strips of politicians, South African politicians of the time, and caricaturing them. Uh, so he took a lot from Jack Davis, uh, but you know, he also never knew that Jack Davis was an EC artist first and foremost. The, the information just wasn't around at the time. He just picked up Mad Magazine, uh, you know, and that's how he obviously became a fan. But, um, you know, I did in, in later years, I gave him some collections of, of Jack Davis and uh, his stuff at EC. And my dad now, you know, appreciates him even more. Uh, because even then, you know, Jack Davis had that signature style where he would turn something horrific but comedic, you know, because if you think about it, it's, it's like a horror comedy playing out in front of you. Um, the comedy side comes from how he draws the folks, you know, but the, the horror comes from obviously yeah. what's, ha what's happening to them. So um, strangely enough, though, not my favorite Jack Davis story, even though it's a five out of five for me. Um, my favorite one is, I think, um, also one of the very first Jack David ones I read, and that's The Living Mummy. Um, and then, of course, you know, you have that very, very terrible story with the baseball one, Foul Play, which is also oh, yeah. <laughs> one of Stephen King's favorites. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the, the story, 
it doesn't you know do much for me but the art is so great and so gruesome and so horrific but in this case definitely too here it's sort of like a slow burn uh, with taint the meat because you don't see anything horrific the, the story itself the implications of what's happening is horrific and then at the very end you're treated to the the, the horror you know of, of of how he illustrated it so i i loved it i loved the way that he she displayed him in his meat cabinet <laughs> you know oh man it was, it was great um so yeah, yeah jack um, davis too i know you're you're a big fan you were said about you know you know he did a lot of their war stories too oh yeah really, yeah, yeah. really good war artist too mm-hmm. like, you know, those yeah, kind yeah. of comics was it two-fisted tales and stuff like that yeah oh, yeah he has crazy a, good he has a great war story i think it's called uh yellow which is one yep. of his best uh yeah the the the, the two-fisted tales is amazing in itself because it didn't go you know like all war is 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 heroic and you know dying for no 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 no. it was definitely showing people how horrific war was you know yeah you could tell they were that ec they were definitely you know anti-war and anti-establishment yeah yep absolutely Mm -hmm. yep Mm -hmm. so guys a great one and um billy how would you then rate i know graham ingles is one of your favorites uh, because yeah. he's in the well, Bernie Wrightson's in his school, and Tom Sutton, two of your favorite mm-hmm. artists, uh, mm-hmm. even Mike Plug. You know, if you think about yeah. Mike Plug on Man Thing and Val Myrick that we discussed recently too. You know, they all take their cue from from uh, Graham yeah. Ingalls. His weird, distorted uh, style of drawing um, the human body and also monsters. And his, um, you know, signature uh, zombies that he drew for EC, which was w- cemented his fame. Uh, his, his Walking Dead, basically. Uh, that's what, what he was re- renowned for. Um, so, Billy, what, what would you rate the story A Little Stranger? Yeah, so for me, this one, just because of the absolute absurdity of it, and then Graham Ingalls, this one's a 5 out of 5, too. Yeah, I mean, I know you guys have, like, Misty, you said you have the omnibus. I don't know if you've read this story yet, but there's one with Graham Ingalls where he draws there's a story about this uh kind of a guy that reminds you of the, a stitch in time guy but he runs a uh an orphanage and you know the he yeah. treats the kids terrible and stuff like that and the kids end up uh doing something to him and oh my gosh the artwork <laughs> that is just <laughs> oh it's incredible oh, oh. he's got it's, it's so awesome. many good ones <laughs> graham ingles he's got really great ones yeah yeah yeah, to me, he's the he. I feel the way I feel about him is how you feel about Jack Davis. It's to me, he is he is the guy. Yeah, it's weird that I picked him this time around, even though he's my second favorite, and you picked, you know, Johnny Craig. But I mean, obviously, the story counts for a lot. But yeah, I, I was almost certain you were you're gonna pick a Ingle uh, story. <laughs> so um, five out of five then from you, uh, Misty. What are your uh-huh. thoughts on? Um, the rating that you might give to uh, a little stranger definitely a five out of five um i i just love the art so much it's beautiful it it's the line work is so varied it's sometimes very delicate and then all in other parts it's very large swaths of ink and dark and black graphic uh shapes and white popping things popping out towards you uh it's so visually exciting and 
and uh, the story itself is really cute and, and romantic. And I, I love I love a vampirus who has a, a cute werewolf boyfriend and they hang out once a month. You know, it's just <laughs> I could really relate to this. I just <laughs> yeah, you could. You could. Uh, Mike, are you listening yeah. to this? <laughs> I know. It's like they live in crypts. Like if who couldn't relate to this? So, yes. Oh, it's so good. Uh, his monster faces. The, mon- the werewolf face, it changes sort of panel to panel, but at each panel, it's so good. It's, uh, yeah. Or eyes, the jaggedy teeth. Yeah, I mean, Alicia is still drawn beautifully, um, but, you know, the teeth then, you know, popping out of her mouth is what, you know, gives her away. He doesn't, this is not your your traditional, you know, vampire teeth that only the incisors are elongated, folks. This is like her entire mouth is filled with razor sharp, you know, protuberances. It's, yeah. uh, and Zorgo too, oh. he's got like tusks almost, you know, yeah. when he's in werewolf form. Yeah, what is that fish, angler fish? They both have mouths like angler Oh, yeah, 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 good, good, good call. Yeah, that's a very good analogy, yeah. Damn. Oh, so. it's beautiful. The art is my favorite. Oh, there's this wonderful romantic scene where they're strolling uh, down a moonlit path together. Yeah. Oh, just beautiful. It's sort of also, it's like um, romantic in a classic, Turner classic movie kind of way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably what, you know, he was going for because uh, he was going to, a lot of the EC stories were about distorting current you know, uh, trends or, or um, you know, things that people were into. And the, the romantic movie was a big thing, you know, in the, the 40s and the 50s still. So this is him inverting that, you know, showing that, hey, even monsters can fall in love. <laughs> and the humans yeah. are, the humans are the monsters here, even though they're defending themselves from these, the, the, the lover's appetites, you know, the humans are portrayed as the monsters here. Yeah, yeah twist yeah Ha-ha. oh yeah for sure mm-hmm. yeah and don't you guys uh, one panel i want to highlight is um think about now you're george romero right you're a little kid you're george romero you're reading a comic book and you happen upon this issue of of um you know um haunt of fear and you see this panel on page six well at least that's the the page number i've got uh where you know these hands and these these bodies are rising from the grave. Uh, wouldn't you be inspired to then make a zombie oh, movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying this is where he got it from. It's pro- there's probably been documented that I mean he ha- he did read EC Comics as a kid. He was a big fan. I mean that's why he did the the Creep Show uh, with Stephen King and the Creep Show comic too. But um, right, you know um, he de- he de- never specifically referenced it's this tale. But just look at this. These zombies rising, rising from the grave here. I, if I was George Romero, I would definitely have taken inspiration from this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, guys, that wraps it up for our uh, main segment. Um, so, five out of five bloody stitches all around. And we couldn't give it anything less. And so, it's a little bit boring when it comes to the writing here, uh, listeners. But I'm sure you would all agree, once you read these three tales, that you would uh, also rate it as highly as we do, I'm sure. So since this is our Halloween mm-hmm. episode, we're not going to do all of our regular segments, but Billy, Misty, and I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And um, 
before we leave you we want to obviously know where people can find you online and if you can also tell them what other halloween shows you've got coming up and ones that might even include us um please let the listeners know where they can find them yeah sure so just look for me on twitter that's where you and me and misty and all the other hooligans you know uh partake in our shenanigans there um i'm at billy d underscore licious uh, my name is Doc Strange, you know, Peter Cushing, my main man. He's my avatar, so uh, look for that. And, uh, yeah, Magazines of Monsters. You know, every Monday I have a regular blog post to uh, fire off, and then I'll have a special Halloween one like I always do on Halloween. I think that's Saturday this year, so uh, that'll be fun too. And then uh, look for myself and you and uh, Misty talking about a certain movie. I will let that remain a secret, but uh, I will tell you what involves Vincent Price. So look forward to that coming up real soon. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Priceless. All right. Mm-hmm. So um, before I give our contact details, I want to mention something. Uh, Misty and I also recently appeared on another podcast. I'm not even sure if you're aware of this, Billy, the goth girl horror podcast focusing on the comic book Hack Slash. Oh, okay, um, cool. Which, you know, since we build ourselves as a horror podcast that covers all horror, we were, uh, you know, we decided to be on that podcast. But Misty and I are not really all, you know, that familiar with that slash, you know, but we, we, we co, uh, well, we were on that podcast. So if you guys are hack slash fans, listeners, please check that out. The Goth Girl Horror Podcast. And cool. then I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, well. Anyway, Misty. <laughs> so, um, uh, what? Where can folks find you online? You can find me at Misty G Comics on Twitter, and that is all. That's right. And uh, Dark <laughs> Longbox on Twitter for me. Also, Billy and I we're on at Into Weird on Twitter. That's where we concatenate all all of us come together to discuss horror during the month of Halloween. And we're busy with our thirty-one days of horror. Misty, I know you're going strong. Billy's going strong. I'm the the the, the runt of the bunch here. I'm the, <laughs> the guy who's dropped the ball the early. The slacker. the slacker. Okay, okay, say it. The slacker. <laughs> you're slacker, McFly. So basically, I'm trying to catch up to you guys. You're the real horror nuts here. I'm just a pretender. But um, if I'm going to be a pretender, I'm going to be the great pretender. <laughs> I'm going to try to... <laughs> at least give give it my best but um, join us listeners for that we're at hashtag of course 31 days of horror that everybody's using and you can look for Miss TG Comics on Twitter and at Billy Delicious on Twitter and of course at Dark Longbox will be involved with that until the end of the month but more shows are on the horizon so look forward to that we'll, we'll give you your horror fix until the end of October at least Alright, so from the Long Walks of Darkness and Magazines and Monsters and Into the Weird, kind of a little bit, um, it's goodbye for now. Keep it creepy, folks. And we'll see you soon. Hopefully in your nightmares. (laughs) Bye-bye. Cheerio. (laughs)